get our Bibles out. We are again in Hebrews 11.32. We've covered so much in here. And there's more to cover. I'm not going to skip one bit of it because it's all powerful. So, Father, we thank you tonight for the word. We thank you for Hebrews 11 and the Hall of Fame of Faith. As we are working through the book of Hebrews, we've taken a, a long pit stop here and just enjoyed all of what you've tucked in here for us. Father, I ask tonight that by your Holy Spirit, you would open up our minds and our hearts, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but we'd get it from our mind to our hearts so that we could be doers. Father, I ask that what we get from this text tonight and the understanding of your word and its structure and the importance of both testaments, Lord, I, I pray that it would encourage our faith tonight and that we would be more excited about being part of your kingdom and part of the end time harvest. I ask that in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. So Hebrews eleven thirty two. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. So we looked at these members of the Hall of Fame of Faith. We've preached through all of the personalities that are entered in here. We looked at Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah. They were judges. Samuel was the last judge. We skipped over David for Samuel. Learned all about the prophet Samuel. What an amazing man. We went back last week to David and uh, learned 15 things about David that we have to understand. David had a mixed bag. He had some failures and he had some amazing successes. But in the end, God said he was a man after his own heart. That should encourage all of us tonight, amen? Because all of us have a mixed bag, amen? All of us have failures and successes. There's no one who gets it perfect all the time, every time, on the first time, amen? The older I get, the things that I used to do easily now are becoming more difficult. Anybody? And, you know, you have to have more patience uh, with yourself and with others. And so uh, nobody gets it right the first time. So have some patience with yourself out there, amen? That was a weak response. You can beat yourself up if you want, but God's patient with us, amen? And another thing, stop remembering your sins because God doesn't remember them anymore. Oh, Wednesday night, it's going to be a long night. So we skipped... David, we went back to him, and now the last words of the verse here, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Now you think, Pastor Rick, you're not going to cover every prophet one a week. No, not going to do that, but we are going to talk about the prophets tonight. The end of the verse mentions the prophets. Apparently, every one of the prophets moved in a level of faith that was impressive enough to God to have them mentioned here in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11. Collectively, as a group, God mentions them. Why? Because for prophets, you, you need faith. You need great faith to be a prophet and to prophesy. Amen? Now, there again, none of the prophets were perfect, but you know they had a level of faith that was pleasing to God, and he mentions them in the Hall of Fame. They moved in ways that shook their generation, uh, it's good for the New Testament church to understand the relevance of Old Testament prophets and their prophecies, as well as the significance and the function of the prophetic gifts in the New Testament church. Now, do we have Isaiah's and Jeremiah's and Ezekiel's running around? Not exactly, but the prophetic ministry is part of the New Testament church. It's part of ministry gifts. We need to understand its function, as well as the significance of the Old Testament prophets. So I couldn't skip over the prophets. We need to talk about them. A prophet is 
quite simply, in its simplest definition, someone who speaks for God. They are called the mouthpiece of God. Think about that for a second. If, if you speak for God, that should be a very sobering thing. Anybody? The charismatic movement and the evangelicals, you know, a lot of times in a lot of ways, we, we get really comfortable and flip it with, thus saith the Lord. If, you, if you're saying, thus saith the Lord, you better have the word of the Lord. It's a serious thing, amen? And, and we see that the scripture warns of many false prophets, but also that there are many legitimate prophets, and they are the mouthpiece of God. They spoke for God. They needed a, a great measure of faith to speak the things of God. Why? Because most of the time, the generations don't want to hear what God has to say. And still today, I mean, if you look at all the prophets in the Old Testament, they, they killed and murdered and stoned and, 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 and everything you could think of to the prophets, it wasn't the type of job that, you know, people would take just because, you know, I think I'll be a prophet. It's, it's something you're called to do. And with it comes a great measure of faith. And at the same time, speaking for God is a sobering thing. Now, there are a total of 88 prophets mentioned in Scripture. Some of them might not be traditional in the sense of the prophets that spoke predictive things. But uh, in the New Testament, there are many people who prophesied, and we're acknowledging them tonight. Uh, 88 prophets, male and female. Prophets can be male and female. That office is not restricted just to men. There were 63 Old Testament prophets and 25 New Testament prophets. So less in the New Testament. The role changes a little bit, but we're going we're gonna to take a look at the Old Testament prophetic books and talk about the New Testament application tonight. So the Old Testament prophets are divided into two groups, the major prophets and the minor prophets. Now you would think, well, you know, major prophets, they must have been, you know, the prophets who really had good prophecies and they were the powerful ones. And, and the minor prophets, you know, maybe the Holy Ghost just bubbled on them a little bit and they came up with something and, and that's it. No, it's not major and minor in the sense of their significance or even in the power of what they prophesied. We're going to look and get a synopsis of each of the prophets in just a minute. But realize the major and minor comes in with the volume of prophecies that God brought through them. The major prophets were given much more revelation than the minor prophets. And so because of the volume of what they were given, they're categorized as major prophets. Don't think that Isaiah, you know, was great and that, you know, Obadiah was, you know, nothing special. Anyone who speaks for God, who is anointed to speak the word of the Lord to a generation, that's an honor. Amen. So major and minor realize that, that they're broken into two groups, and it is the length, not the significance of their messages. Now, the five major prophets and their books that correspond to them are these, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, which was written by Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. So those are the five major prophets. Now you say, well, is there only four people there? Well, the books are the prophetic books. And Jeremiah wrote two of them. So Jeremiah got the double dip, but uh, Isaiah still has more text than he does. Isaiah, now we're going to go through these. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. I'm just going to give you a brief synopsis. It's not going to take forever. Don't get scared. But you're going to get an overview here to see a picture of how God uses prophets in the Old Testament in predictive ways. Now realize, much of what they said was predicting the future, but there was also applications for that time right there, and there were also past implications of what they said. We're going to talk about the multi-dimensional nature of the prophetic. 
When God gives a word, it has a bearing on the past, it has a present application, and it has a future fulfillment. Wow. Powerful, amen? That's why they're not just the words of men. I love it when people say, oh, the Bible was written by men. No, you couldn't get a group of people together to write something in perfect synchronicity with all, you know, everything just, I mean, they've tried to criticize and pull apart and tear it down for centuries, and they can't touch it because it's not a collection of stories written by men. It is the handiwork of God. Listen, and you say, well, people say all kinds of things. Well, the Bible is this and the Bible is that. I believe God's powerful enough to get into our hands 66 books that are from his heart so that his church could be the church in the earth. Someone say amen. And if you don't believe that and you want to criticize the Bible, I dare you to live it and apply it to your life and see if it doesn't work. So here we go. Old Testament prophets, five major ones. The first one is Isaiah. There are 66 chapters in Isaiah. There are 66 books in the Bible. Some scholars look at Isaiah as a, a, little, a little micro a version of the Bible. It, it reflects uh, the way the scriptures laid out Isaiah, just a powerful prophet. He makes powerful predictions about God's coming judgment on all the nations of the world. A lot of what happens in prophetic books is about judgment and about repentance and about warnings. That's why a, a lot of people don't like to read the prophetic books. <clears throat> I remember in Bible school taking a, an entire class on the prophetic books and digging in to these things. And, you know, it was one of those classes where, you know, if you read Jeremiah in a night, man, Jeremiah alone, I mean, just what, what he was prophesying, that guy was, he was a, a different guy. Isaiah, powerful, all these judgments, yet, uh, you know, you understand God's heart in the way he corrects and disciplines his people. These are powerful predictions through Isaiah. Isaiah serves as a warning to Israel concerning the judgment that looms over them. How appropriate for our generation, for our nations, amen? Why? Because someday all of us are going to stand before God. And Isaiah wanted the children of Israel to know that because of the way they were living, judgment was looming over them. He was warning them about their sinful practices, about their rebellion against their God. Isaiah also gives great detail about the coming Messiah. There are many messianic prophecies in Isaiah. It's where we get the idea of Jesus being a suffering servant. It's where we get the idea and the theology of by his stripes we are healed. Come on. Isaiah reveals Jesus Christ. Don't think that Jesus is just New Testament. From Genesis to Revelation, Jesus Christ is revealed on every page of Scripture. And when you study it and understand it and allow the Holy Spirit to show it to you, you see, but we get some powerful theology about the Messiah in Isaiah that after we look at the life of Jesus and superimpose what Isaiah said about the way the Messiah would be and the way Jesus lived, there is no doubt that Jesus is the Christ. How about Jeremiah? 52 chapters, the second major prophet. Jeremiah was a weird guy. He walked around naked for two years. Don't try this at home. You will be arrested. But he was, you know, he was a weeping prophet. He was constantly uh, just, you know, broken and hurting. Why? Because he was reflecting the heart of God to the people. God's heart was broken. God, why have this guy walk around naked? Because he was showing that Israel had uncovered themselves by their sin. 
Jeremiah, a powerful man of God, a different guy, not someone we can copy everything of what he did, a unique man. He sternly warns the people of Jerusalem that disaster is about to come, and, and, and his, his words are falling on deaf ears. The generation resists him. He also highlights God's plan to redeem and restore his people. So there's judgment, but then there's hope. You're going to see a lot of that. It's a, it's a theme in the prophetic. God brings judgment, but he also offers hope. God says you better repent, but if you do, I'll bless you. Amen? Aren't you glad we serve a God like that? Amen? <laughs> if, God, if God ever has had it with us, boy, are we in trouble. Thank God for his mercy. So Ezekiel is the next major prophet, 48 chapters in Ezekiel. Ezekiel takes a priestly approach. He again warns Jerusalem of the coming destruction of the temple. So uh, yet it's a warning. It's a warning of judgment, and it's on the spiritual uh, mechanisms in Israel. He foretells a time when the glory of the Lord will return to Israel and bring healing and health to a broken nation. So there again, it's, a, it's that theme there. Judgment, to bring repentance, and then the restoration of God. Lamentations has five chapters. We said that that was also written by Jeremiah. Jeremiah, again, being a unique guy, writes a really unique book here as the Holy Spirit moves through him. Um, it's written by him, and so it, it, it bears the writing style of Jeremiah, and you could tell you know, who's writing it here. But Lamentations is unique in the sense that it is a series of dirges that express a national funeral for Israel. A dirge is a sad song that you would sing at a funeral. You know, you're not going to find it in the top 40, but, you know, these dirges were, they were dark and they were sad. And he writes in the form of dirges. Why? Because God is basically saying, you know, this is your national funeral, Israel. You've turned away from me. Judgment is impending and you won't repent. That's sobering, isn't it? You want God to come with you with a song. It's a song of joy, of restoration, of blessing. No, he comes with a funeral dirge. Wow. See, the, the prophets had to say some hard things. That's why they weren't very popular. The false prophets would always prophesy, oh, it's going to be good, and God's going to bless you, and God's happy, and you're going to prosper. So, sounds like the false prophets of our day, doesn't it? Always happy, clappy, everything's okay. Sin as much as you want. God's still going to bless you. No correction for the church. No correction for leadership. Oh, it's quiet now. Daniel is the last of the major prophets. There are 12 chapters in Daniel. Daniel's writings are in the form of an intense vision that describes the clash of Israel's God with the empires of the world. It's basically God showing his dominion over the nations. We get a lot of apocalyptic prophetic things from Daniel that co correspond with the book of Revelation. Uh, you know, the 72 weeks of Daniel, God willing, someday we'll do a study on that to understand. Remember, the, these prophets were Old Testament prophets prophesying about New Testament things. Some of what has been prophesied thousands of years ago has not come to pass yet. The Ezekiel 38 war is looming on the horizon. We have all the key players in place. The things of Daniel uh, are looming on the horizon. The, the nations, the empires, that one gives way to another. We see the succession. And God is showing in the book of Daniel that he is God over all the nations, and he will confront the wicked kingdoms of man throughout history and in the end and show himself to be God. Daniel 
It's a powerful, relevant book. Now, those are the major prophets. So there are 12 minor prophets. I'm just going to give you a snapshot of each of them. Remember, they had less text, uh, less to offer, but at the same time, their message was no less powerful or relevant. Hosea, uh, let me just read to you all of them. There's Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the Italian prophet. It's Malachi, but I have issues. Let's look at Hosea. Hosea explores God's loyalty to Israel, even though Israel has been disloyal to him. You're going to see that Hosea married a prostitute. And if you read this book, God is comparing the, the, the waywardness of his people to a prostitute who abandons her marital vow to her husband. And that's what the whole book of Hosea is about. Talk about heavy. Talk about breaking your heart. The, the way God looks at it, that when we serve other gods and we worship idols of materialism and money and, and pleasure, it's as if we are prostituting ourselves with the world, and it breaks his heart. Joel compares a natural disaster, a plague of locusts, to God's coming judgment, but also looks forward to God pouring out his spirit on all mankind. You know, we used to sing that song, they rush on the city, they run on the wall. Anybody remember that? Great is the army that carries out his word. Remember that? Well, that army was a horde of locusts. Most people are singing, ah. Joel shows the locusts, and what do locusts do? They eat the fruit, they, they destroy, they lay waste to all uh, the sustenance of man. So uh, this natural disaster is coming. Joel also talks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters. Amen? Are you looking forward to that? Amen. Two people. Praise God. Let's go to Amos. Amos warns the people of Israel that their oppressive ways have made their own God their enemy. Think about this. The, uh, the, the thrust of Amos is this, that, you know what? God could be your greatest ally or your worst enemy, and your sin has caused him to be your worst enemy. The Marines say, no greater friend, no worse enemy. You don't want to tick off Marines. But even more than that, you don't want to tick off God. And God's people had been so rebellious and wayward that now God was opposing them as if they were a heathen nation. Think about that for a second. God loves us enough to do whatever it takes to bring repentance to us when we are wayward. And that's what Amos is all about. Let's talk about Obadiah, the fourth minor prophet. Obadiah promises Israel will have justice against their oppressors. So that's a, that's a happier prophetic thing there. Everybody likes that. Yeah, we're getting beat up. We're getting abused. We're getting taken advantage of. But God says, I'm going to straighten that out. I will bring justice and judgment against your oppressors. And how many realize that all of us need to have that hope? Amen. Vengeance is not ours. It's the Lord's. Amen. We can't take vengeance and come out clean. Anytime we try to exact justice, we're going to come out a little bit dirty. That's why it's always wise to let God bring judgment. God will bring justice and he will repay. Obadiah says, it's coming, hang in there. 
uh, I got you. I see what they're doing to you, and I'm going to take care of it. Jonah, we all know the book of Jonah. Jonah is the guy who would not listen to God and go to Nineveh because he hated the Ninevites. They were wicked, evil, vile people. They, they did all kinds of immorality, child sacrifice. They murdered men, women, and children when they conquered nations. And they, they were just, you know, they were a people that Jonah wanted to see judgment come on. God says, go preach to them. And Jonah says, no way, Jose, because they're going to repent and you're going to have mercy on them. Now, think about that. And so you know what he does. He, God says, go this way. He goes that way. He gets the first all-air-conditioned submarine ride inside a fish. He gets spit out on the shore. He repents. He goes. He does his job. And the people do repent, and God does pour mercy out on them. So it shows that despite the tendencies of man to stray from God, God always offers mercy to those who repent, and that's good news for us. How about Micah? Micah encourages the people to pursue justice and mercy, which God has shown to them. So realize, it's one thing for us to ask justice and mercy from God. We have to be willing to show justice and mercy to others, amen? Christians should be really concerned about justice and really offended at injustice. That's all I'll say about that. We need to care. So Nahum is next, and he sees the violence of the world empires and anticipates a day when they too will be met with judgment. And, you know, many times, that's why reading these books, when you get the synopsis of it here, a lot of this is current to the, you know, our emotional makeup as, as a church, as a people. Why? Because we look at what goes on in the world. I mean, if you're paying attention at all, the persecution of the church, what they do to our brothers and sisters in China, what they do in the Middle East, they're still beheading people. They're still crucifying people. They're jailing people. In China right now, it's amazing how they're persecuting churches, imprisoning them, sterilizing them, uh, make, you know, forcing them to, to not have children, abort children. It's just wickedness. And if you start to pay attention to this stuff, you go, God, where are you? And when are you going to do something? And this is a reminder that God is watching and God will judge the wicked. And they do seem to get away with it in the short game. But in the long game, nobody gets away with anything. Remember that. David said, when I saw the wicked prosper, my foot almost slipped. But then when I saw the end of the wicked, whoa, hey, man, it looks like they're doing good and they're prospering and they're being blessed. And I'm having a hard time here. Yeah, we pay now. They pay later. Amen. I would rather suffer now in this life and forfeit this life so that I can be with Jesus for eternity, amen? Good stuff. Nahum is that book. If you want to be reminded that God will repay and God will uh, straighten out all the crooked things, how about Habakkuk? It highlights the downward spiral of violence and oppressive culture. So it kind of you know, hinges in here with Nahum the same type of thing. Israel suffered a lot at the hands of heathen nations, a lot of injustices. Uh, so do God's people today, as I mentioned. But the downward spiral of violence and oppression, uh, it encourages not only the fact that God will repay, but encourages God's people to be different. How do we respond to the wickedness of the world? Not with wickedness of our own. How do we respond to the violence of the world? Not with violence of our own, but we have to be different, Amen. And so Habakkuk is a book that encourages God's people to be different. 
Zephaniah anticipates the coming reset of the nations. See, a lot of these, a lot of these tag together. Why? Because some of these things have already happened in Israel's history, and they'll also happen in world history. Remember I said to you that prophecy is multidimensional. Some of these things had a fulfillment for Israel, and they have a fulfillment for the nations, and they have a fulfillment in end times eschatology. One prophecy, three dimensions. So Zephaniah anticipates that coming world reset. When is that going to happen globally? It's going to happen in the millennial reign. But it's also happened to a certain degree in Israel. It becomes a nation again. God's going to call them back to himself. He's going to reinstitute, uh, you know, the temple is going to be rebuilt and there's going to be sacrifice and the Antichrist is going to come. There's lots of moving parts here. But Zephaniah gives hope that God will reset the nation's and he will remove everything and restore everything that was wicked. How about Haggai? It encourages the people of Jerusalem to reconstruct the temple that had been destroyed. How does it speak to us where our churches are in decline, where our churches have stopped preaching the word of God, where our churches have been social clubs? We need to rebuild the temple of God in the earth, amen? There needs to be corporate repentance in you know, in some places, and things need to be reset. So there again, there's that application. Uh, how about Zechariah, the 11th of the minor prophets, tells Israel that they have an opportunity to return to God so that he can restore them. And that's a theme for all of us, amen? When we stray from God, what should we do? We should run back to him. What should we do? We should repent. Why? Because if we do, God will restore us. Remember when David sinned and he, he sinned with Bathsheba and he killed Uriah the Hittite and he tried to cover his sin? He comes before God broken and he's like, you know, God, create, restore in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You see that, that brokenness that God is looking for, brokenness and repentance in us. Because his heart is to restore. His heart is not to judge and destroy. That's never been God's heart. If that was his goal, he could have did that right in the garden, right after an Adam and Eve went apple picking. But he didn't. So thank God for his grace. Malachi, who some people call Malachi, he chastises the people of Israel for straying from the Torah yet again. So there's this cyclical pattern of sinning, moving away from God, coming back to him. We saw that in the book of Judges. Malachi uh, is confronting that pattern in Israel. He said, you've strayed from God's word again and again and again. He calls the people to come back, to recommit to the law, the Lord and to recommit to the laws of God. So there's, there's a good synopsis of all the major and minor prophets. I hope that was helpful to you. If you weren't able to grab all those notes, I, I can share mine with you or you can go online and listen to this. But I encourage you to you know, at least get a, a synopsis of these prophetic books so that when your heart is in a certain place, you can go and read the book that will minister to where you're at. Amen. As you can see, there, there's something for all of us at all times in the prophetic books. Now, all the prophetic books are significant to Israel, obviously, but they're also significant to the church. Why? Because we, we learn so much of our theology from the prophetic books. They show the nature of God. They show the works of God, the heart of God, the, the, the patterns of God. They reveal the Messiah. We learn about Christ's birth from Isaiah and Micah. We learn about Christ's atoning sacrifice from Isaiah. 
We learn about Christ's return in Ezekiel and Daniel and Zechariah. We learn about God's holiness, his wrath, his grace, his mercy in all of the books. So the prophetic books are important. You think, oh, these are Old Testament guys, Old Testament things. It's all about Israel misbehaving. I'd rather read the New Testament. Don't do that. All of the Scripture is vital. All of Scripture is important, and we need to... We need to get what God has for us in these books. So get your theology and get an understanding of God's attributes from the prophetic books. Why are they important to the church? Number two, because prophecy, as I've said several times, is multifaceted and multidimensional, meaning that the words God spoke to Israel also have a modern-day implication for us and a future fulfillment in eschatological things. The book of Revelation is unfolding in front of us, amen? And these uh, books that bolster what was written in the New Testament book of Revelation, Daniel, Ezekiel, uh, they are very important for us to understand at this time because they are falling into place. So understand that, you know, whether you have spent a lot of time or not in the prophetic books, whether you didn't think they were significant or not, I encourage you to get in there and dig because God has something for you and he has something for me in every one of those books. Six things to know about the role of the prophetic in the New Testament church. Six things to know about the role of the prophetic in the New Testament church. The role of the prophetic is a part of the New Testament church. It's not just an Old Testament thing. Some denominations say, oh, there's no prophecy anymore. That's, that's all, you know, it's done. No, I'm going to show you from the scripture that that is absolutely not true and contrary to what the word says. Number one, prophecy is one of the fivefold ministry gifts promised to the church. Listen to Ephesians 4.11. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So those gifts there are for the body of Christ. We have pastors, we have teachers, we have evangelists. There is a prophetic ministry within the body of Christ, and there is an apostolic ministry. Do we have apostles like there were in the beginning of the church? No, a little bit different, but there's still a function of the apostolic ministry. Apostles are pastors of pastors. They, they oversee churches, and they help to provide structure, and they help to plant churches. So, you know, you see the fulfillment of these ministry gifts. There's prophetic things that need to take place in the church. How many realize if the church can't hear from heaven and hear the heart of God and, and get a word in season, amen, that is current, that is directive, that is instructive, then we are dead in the water if we can't hear from God. Well, my sheep hear my voice, and they know, you know, if we hear his voice, then God is going to use his mouthpieces to speak to us. Amen. Remember, the prophets are the mouthpieces of God. Uh, number two, prophecy is a spiritual gift that God gives to specific people in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, and then gifts of healing, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. So there's a list from 1 Corinthians 12 about some of the spiritual gifts that God places in the church. Thank God we have people who have administrative gifts, amen? That's why we're in here clothed and in our right minds and the lights are on and the roof is not leaking, amen? Thank God we have people who have ministry of helps, 
There is, you know, I think there's a shortage of helpers. Everybody wants to be a chief. Nobody wants to be an Indian. But thank God for people who just love to come alongside and help. Thank God for all three of you. God bless you. Gifts of healing. Thank God for healing in the church. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. The call for the elders. They'll anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Someone say amen. So all of these things, the, uh, the apostolic ministry, the oversight, leadership in the church, church structure, church planting, and the prophetic, it is mentioned as part of the spiritual gifts God puts in his people. So it's part of the fivefold ministry. It's part of the unique spiritual gifts. Number three, prophets have been active in the New Testament church since its inception. From the beginning, there were prophets. Listen to Acts 21, 10 through 12. Here's Paul. He's ministering. He's going on his missionary journeys. He's headed towards Jerusalem, and someone prophesies to him about what's going to happen there in Acts 21. It says this in verse 10, and as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus. Now, he's not Old Testament. He's not one of the major. He's not one of the minor. He's a prophet in the New Testament. Agabus came down from Judea, and he had come to us. He took Paul's belt bound it around his hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. Here it is, thus saith the Lord. Powerful. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both and those things from that place, we pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. And we've studied through the book of Acts many times. You know, this prophet prophesied to to. to Paul, Agabus told him, look, they're going to bind you. They're going to imprison you in Jerusalem. This is what awaits for you. How did he know that? God spoke to him. As the mouthpiece of God, he gave predictive prophecy to a man of God in the New Testament church. There were always prophets in the New Testament church. Say amen. New Testament believers are encouraged to desire the gift of prophecy. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Did you hear that? You guys hear that? Not desire a bigger house, a faster car, a fatter bank account, a summer vacation. No, it says what? Desire spiritual gifts. Could you imagine if we desired spiritual things as much as we desired material things? Now stop looking holy out there. Maybe it's just me. But it says desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Did you hear that? Especially. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in the tongue edifies himself. So Paul has shown us the gift of speaking in tongues is a legitimate gift, but it's for edif self-edification, and it has some implications in the corporate setting. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So what is he saying? When you speak a word in plain English so everyone can understand it, and it's under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it edifies everyone, amen? He's not downplaying the importance of tongues. He's saying that Prophecy is greater than that. Why? Because it strengthens the body of Christ. And he's saying, I wish you all prophesied and to desire that gift. 
It, it edifies, it exhorts, and it comforts the church. That's why it's desirable, and that's why we should want it. You know, you, prophesying is not just predictive or about the future and thus saith the Lord. This, right now, what I'm doing is prophetic. As I preach the word of God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I, I would hope that me and every pastor that stands in the pulpit is a mouthpiece of God. God help us if I'm just sharing my own thing. Oh, these are my thoughts. Well, who needs that? I don't even want to hear my own thoughts. Sometimes I just go like this, you know, like an etch-a-sketch. I shake my head. I don't, I don't even want to think that. God, you speak to me. When I, every sermon that I write, I've been preaching since I'm 14. Everyone, I'm like, God, speak to me and tell me what you want to say to your people. I love you, but I got nothing for you if he doesn't fill me. And what I'm doing right now, anytime the word of God is preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that's prophetic. It's one of the expressions of the prophetic gift. So understand, New Testament believers like you and I should desire spiritual gifts and especially the gift of prophecy. Why? Because if we let God speak through us, we're going to strengthen the body of Christ. How many of you have gotten a word from somebody they were praying for you and the Lord spoke to them and they come to you and they share it with you and it just encourages you so much and builds you up? Come on. Powerful, right? When someone's telling me, hey, I've been praying for you and the Lord gave me a scripture for you. I have some people who are prophetic who send me cards in the mail. They're praying, they're fasting for me and they send me a word from the Lord in the mail and when I see the address, I get excited. Oh, I open it up. And it builds me up and it encourages me. Someone's got to do it. I need encouragement, right? And God's speaking and encouraging. So uh, understand, desire that gift. Don't think, oh, well, I, I can never do it. Listen, the same spirit that Christ, raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. You can do it. If you make yourself available and fill yourself with the word of God and ask him to speak through you, guess what? He will. Number five, the New Testament provides structure and order for the use of prophetic gifts. There again in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, a powerful, uh, a powerful chapter on how to use some of these spiritual gifts that we see in uh, you know, our, our circles here. It says this in 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed... To another who sits by, let the first keep silent. So God's saying, let there be order. We can't, in verse 31, for you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may encourage. And the spirit of the prophet are subject to the prophet. We're going to talk about that. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So maintaining order in the using of spiritual gifts is very important. Why? Because if you've ever been at church where there was no order, you know that that's a problem. Come on, I've been in some churches. I grew up, you know, with things where, you know, you just go into a place and it's like a free-for-all. You got people yelling and running around. One guy's grabbing the mic. Somebody's speaking in tongues. Somebody's preaching. I mean, that's, that's crazy. You don't agree? You'd like to do that? No, the Bible says to do all things decently and in order. Could you imagine if everybody who had a preaching gift on Sunday just started preaching all at the same time? Well, how in the world are you going to get anything out of that? At, the, at best, that's going to be annoying. And so 
Paul is instructing, you know, let two or three prophets speak, let the others judge, do things in order, go one by one. You know, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. You know, sometimes people who get involved in prophetic ministry are a little bit weird because prophets are weird to begin with. But, you know, if you've ever been to a granola church, they have fruits, nuts, and flakes. And, you know, you got somebody prophesying something. I I remember one time in chapel in Elam, somebody stood up and prophesied something right in the middle of chapel, and somebody else stood up when they were done and rebutted what they said. We had the battle of the prophets here, the prophet of Baal versus the prophet Elijah. And leadership got up and said that word was correct, that word was not that's harsh. No, that's what you have to do to keep things decent and in order. There was a school of the prophets. Prophecy and the use of the gift is a learned thing. You know, it's not Old Testament. If you make a mistake, no one's going to stone you. We might make fun of you, but we won't stone you. I'm kidding. Lighten up. So there has to be order in public expressions of worship. That's very important. It can't be a free-for-all. You know if you've been at a place that's out of order, that's uncomfortable for the saints, and it's really confusing for visitors. You know, I thank God that we do things decently and in order in Full Gospel Center and that people can come in and get plugged in and grow, and they're not getting freaked out or scared or, you know, running out the door like their heads are on fire. Why? Because when things are in order and the Holy Spirit's allowed to move and the the prophets and the people with the gifts are under control, that's what that means. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. I don't have to just yell out and shout, well, I couldn't help myself, Pastor. I had to do it right in the middle of your sermon. No, no, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, Okay. So understand that it comes with self-control and order. And uh, that's all I'll say about that. My last point is this. Uh, the last thing we need to know about the prophetic ministry in the New Testament church is that the prophet Joel foretold of a surge of prophetic activity in the last day's church. And I'm just going to close with this scripture. Joel 2, 28 through 32. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. How many are looking forward to those days? I believe God wants to pour out his spirit on the church. Amen. Uh, Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. So in the last days, there will be a surge of prophetic activity. This flies in the face of denominations say, well, there is no prophetic activity. There is no, you know, any of these spiritual gifts. They died with the apostles. Well, not only is that not true, and the Bible never says that, it says the exact opposite, and that there will be a resurgence and a surge of them in the last days. Let's bow our heads. And here comes the room. Father, I thank you tonight for the Old Testament prophets that you spoke through. Father, so much powerful theology and wisdom is revealed through the mouthpieces of God that spoke the word of the Lord to Israel and the generation. Father, thank you for Isaiah that gives such a beautiful picture of Christ as the suffering servant. Thank you for all the good theology we get out of there to know that Jesus is our healer, he's our savior, he's Messiah. Father, thank you for all the Old Testament prophets that gave warnings to those who are 
God's people when they're wayward, that we should repent and come back and find right relationship with you. Father, thank you for the fivefold ministry gifts. Thank you for the unique anointings that you pour out on people in your church. Thank you, Lord God, that you haven't left us deaf, dumb, and blind, but you speak to us prophetically through your prophets so that we can hear your voice on a corporate level. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. We look forward to an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this place and in our lives and in the last days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight.